I almost didn't get up here. I wanted to keep listening. So good to be with you this morning. Not only uh, are my son and daughter here, but my wonderful daughter-in-law, Lynn LaCroix, and her mother, Bibi. And have I mentioned I have three beautiful granddaughters who are here? (laughs) I'm sure all of you, like me this morning, are feeling the absence of Steve and Catherine. I miss them already, and I give thanks for their ministry in our midst. Like, like all of us, I love to hear Steve preach. He's a truly gifted communicator of the gospel, and I also like playing golf with him. He was fun to be with even when he beat me, although that wasn't very often. <laughs> I hope he's not listening. He and Catherine were easy to like for many reasons, and now I must say I am absolutely overjoyed at the prospect of being the one to preach while the memory of Steve's excellent sermons are still fresh in our minds. I look at it this way. The letdown we will all feel after today will make it easier on the new senior pastor when she or he comes. At least that's what my son Eric suggested. (laughs) God love him. (laughs) The loss we feel this morning is just one of many kinds of losses that we face during our lifetime. In fact, there's a psychological scale known as the Holmes-Ray Stress Scale that lists 43 43 life events that are most liable to create feelings of loss and grief. And some of the most notable ones are really no surprise, the death of a spouse or of a child or a parent or a close family member, There's also the breakup of a friendship, there's divorce, losing a job, retirement, onset of a terrible illness, the loss of financial stability, and even the loss of one's reputation. All of these losses are common experiences that none of us are exempted from. And our scripture this morning draws attention to these losses. So listen carefully to the Word of God as it's recorded in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 5, verses 21 through 43. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd followed. While he was by the lake, one of the synagogue rulers named Jairus came there. Seeing Jesus, he fell on his knees and pleaded earnestly with him. My little daughter is dying, he said. Please come and put your hands on her so she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him, and there was a woman there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. 
She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak. Because she thought to herself, if I just touch his cloak, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped, and she felt in her body that she had been freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus knew that power had gone out from him. And he turned around in the crowd and he asked, who touched my clothes? You see people crowding against you, his disciples answered, and yet you can ask, who touched me? But Jesus continued to look around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and trembling in fear told him the whole truth. And Jesus said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. While Jesus was still speaking, some men came from the home of the synagogue ruler. Your little daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Ignoring what they said, Jesus said to the synagogue ruler, Don't be afraid. Just keep on believing. He did not let anyone go with him except Peter, James, and John. When Jesus came to the home of the synagogue ruler, he saw a large crowd with lots of wailing and commotion and weeping. When he went in, he said to them, Why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went into where the child lie. He took her by the hand and he said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, get up. Immediately she stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. At this they were completely astonished And Jesus gave them strict orders not to tell anyone about this, and he told them to give her something to eat. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The great Oxford scholar C.S. Lewis has a keen insight about our pain and loss. He writes, God whispers to us in our pleasures He speaks to us in our conscience, but he shouts to us in our pain. Our scripture literally shouts to us this morning about human loss, the loss of health and life specifically and by implication all other losses as well. Jesus has crossed the Sea of Galilee from Gentile territory, the land of the Gerasenes, to the Jewish side of the lake. 
And a man named Jairus, a synagogue ruler, the president of the board of elders, if you will, one of the most important leaders in his community, comes to Jesus and humbly falls on his feet. And he pleads earnestly with him, my little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so she will be healed and live. Can you imagine his loss, his deep pain, his feelings of emptiness and desperation? Is there anything worse than losing a child? For Jairus, the sky has fallen. The oxygen has been sucked out of the air. The impending death of his daughter feels like an amputation, only worse. I love Jairus. I admire his chutzpah. He's the kind of father I identify with. He will do absolutely anything for his child. He'll go anywhere. He'll try anything. He'll risk everything for his child's welfare. And I'm deeply comforted by Jesus' response to Jairus' loss and grief. You see, Jesus is filled with compassion, just like he is on so many other occasions that we read in the Bible. The text tells us that Jesus not only listens to Jairus, and not only emphasizes with him, but without any hesitation whatsoever, Jesus goes with Jairus to his home. He goes with him as if he would do this for anyone in a similar situation who simply asks. I want to go on record. I've asked similar things of Jairus many, many, many times. And I bet you have too. Just keep on asking. Don't give up. On the way to Jairus' house, Jesus pauses long enough to heal a woman who's had a bleeding disease for 12 long years. Mark puts it graphically. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors, yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. She comes up behind Jesus and she touches his cloak because she's thinking to herself, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. And immediately she is. Her bleeding stops and she has been freed from her suffering. She comes to Jesus, falls at his feet, and trembling in fear tells him the whole truth. Is there any other way to encounter God than in truth? Truth is in such sort, short supply in our culture. But there's no better way to encounter God or Jesus except telling them the whole truth. For Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. And he knows the whole truth about all of us, whether we speak it or not. This woman who is so bold and burdened that she touches Jesus in desperation, unburdens her soul and speaks the truth to power. She speaks the truth about herself to the greatest power 
in the universe. She's lost everything, her health, her self-control, her dignity, her status in the community, her finances, literally everything worth having. And for her efforts, she hears truly good news. He says to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. And when I hear those liberating, healing words, I feel like saying, I don't know about you, but I feel like saying, hey, Jesus, over here, me too. All of this drama, all of this compassion from the Lord of life, all of this healing power from Jesus is Mark's way of telling us, even shouting to us, if you will, as Paul does in the book of Romans, that there's nothing in heaven or on earth that can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Not the forces of evil, not the principalities and powers of darkness, not the ravages of illness or the vicissitudes of life, not any kind of loss no matter how severe, not even the threat of or the fact of death. Nothing in all creation can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. While Jesus is still speaking to the woman, some men come from the home of Jairus, the synagogue ruler, and tell him that his precious daughter has died. And filled with compassion and conviction, Jesus says to Jairus, Don't be afraid. Just keep on believing. When Jesus arrives at the home of Jairus, he informs them that the girl is not dead but asleep, and they laugh at him at the absurdity of the claim. But they don't know Jesus. Jesus takes the child's father and mother and the disciples who are with him, Peter, James, and John, And he goes into the room where Jairus' daughter lies. From a human perspective, from our perspective, the girl is dead. But not from Jesus' perspective. The child is not dead but asleep, he says. Our human perspective sees death only from a glass darkly, but from our Lord's perspective, it's crystal clear. From our Lord's perspective, none of us ever really are dead. You ask, how can that be? Listen to this. I am the resurrection and the life, Jesus says. Those who believe in me, even though they die, yet will they live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Jesus has a true perspective on life and death that gives us not only eternal hope in the life to come, but also the courage and confidence to face up to whatever may come our way. So Jesus takes Jairus' daughter by the hand and he says to her, Little girl, I say to you, get up. And Mark gives us the actual words in Aramaic. It's one of the few times in all of Scripture where we get the original words verbatim. 
The moment must have been so riveting, so earth-shockingly important that Peter, who heard them in real time and then lived by them and then passed them on to Mark, wanted Mark to get them exactly right. Jesus says to her, Talitha kum. Talitha kum. Little girl, rise up. Frederick Bigner says this about death, and I quote, Death is not any more permanent than sleep is permanent. Death is not any more permanent than sleep is permanent. In the normal course of our daily lives, we go to sleep and then we rise up. And in God's normal course for human life, we die and then we rise up. Like a grain of wheat, Paul says, that falls into the ground and dies. And then rises up in a new, more powerful life form. We die and then we rise up. I imagine all of us, at least most of us seniors here this morning, have at some point in our lives thought about our own death. Now that I'm just a few weeks shy of my 80th birthday, this thought crosses my mind more often than it once did. It's inevitable that we think about this. As the Apostle Peter reminds us, So starkly, all people are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers, and the flowers fade and fall. But thank God, the word of the Lord stands forever. Amen. It's possible. It's possible, I believe, that when we die, the first experience that we will have will be our Lord saying to us, rise up. I hope so. Rise up to the life you've inherited by God's grace. Rise up, for the old has passed away and the new has truly come. And I believe that those glorious words... That our Lord speaks to us not only on the so-called day of our dying. He also speaks to us on each and every day of our living. On the days of our tears and our sadness. The days of our fears and our doubts. The days of our heartaches and our pains. The days of our loss and grief. And all the other days in between. Both good and bad. Rise up. I'm sure some of you know the song, Rise Up by Andra Day. The refrain goes like this, and I'll rise up, I'll rise like the day, I'll rise up, I'll rise unafraid, I'll rise up and I'll do it a thousand times again, and I'll rise up high like the waves, I'll rise up in spite of the ache, I'll rise up and I'll do it a thousand times again. To be honest, I don't have all that much wisdom on how to personally deal effectively with grief and loss. I've I've had my difficult times like everybody else. But I do know this, and I have it on good authority, 
that our Lord Jesus Christ is with us in all those dark, empty moments of our life. It is when we need him the most that he carries us and raises us up, whether we know it or not. And with his power and his presence and his promise on our side, we can count on this holy fact. As the poet William Longfellow puts it, any defeat may be victory in disguise, and that the lowest ebb of life may be the turning of the tide. Any defeat may be victory in disguise, and the lowest ebb may be the turning of the tide. So rise up in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.